back to the David Glenn Show. Welcome back to Free For All Friday. Most of this hour reserved for you to steer the ship. You pick the topics. You ask your questions. You file your complaints. We have a lot of college basketball to celebrate and discuss. We'll get back to those calls later. NFL, XFL, MLB, NBA, NHL. Some soccer fans excited, PGA in Florida, NASCAR in California. Our next guest knows college basketball from every angle. He was a star guard at West Point back in the day. He worked under Mike Krzyzewski at Duke, and he is now an outstanding college basketball analyst for ESPN and The Athletic and Sirius XM, where he helps host his own show. Chris Spatola, welcome back to The David Glenn Show. How are you? I'm great, my friend. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. I love March Madness and the ramping up to it. My question right out of the gate for you asks you to tap into your Coach K and Duke expertise because, in Coach K's words, the Devils are showing their youth too much. They lost by 22 at unranked NC State. They lost by 12 at unranked Wake Forest. And he just says we should be playing older by our 28th game, and for whatever reason, we're not. How exactly is that translated into, you know, college basketball viewing vernacular? In what ways are the Blue Devils still acting too young or showing that youth too much? Well, I, I guess based on what he's saying, I'd like to welcome Coach K to the other 95% of freshmen in college basketball. Yeah. That's how the other 95% live. Um, you know, I, I think for me, it's, there's a couple areas, David. You know, there, there was a common wisdom early in the year that this was a vintage Duke defensive team. And there were stretches of the season early where they were good. I don't know if they were ever great. Uh, but they are not very good on the defensive end right now. Um, and, and I think that is starting to show. And you could chalk it up to whatever you want. There's some fatigue. Freshmen hitting a wall. With, you know, teams have kind of figured out. How to, how to attack them, whatever it is. They, they are not nearly the defensive team that they were early. Um, the other part, David, to this, and, and it gets skewed a little, a little bit because most people watch the Duke-Carolina game, and obviously Duke was miraculous in, in finishing that game off and winning that game. But uh, they have not been very good closing games. I mean, I go back to the Louisville game at home. You could certainly use the game the other night. I mean, when you're up nine with a minute and change yep. left, you have to win that game against Wake Forest. I don't care if it's on the road or if you're young or you're whatever. You know, you have to finish that game. When you're up three with 15 seconds left and you have the ball, you've got to finish that game. And there have been so many times this year, David, where teams have pressured them and they just haven't been able to close a game out. And, you know, I, I don't think Trey Jones is necessarily that guy. Um uh, you know, Vernon Carey, when you're your best, your most efficient scorers, an interior player, it's hard to have that guy be your finisher. So, you know, you end up getting the ball at least the other night where Wendell Moore's handling it. Or again, I don't know if that's young guys or not, but those those are games Duke has to win, and they just had a hard time finishing games late. We asked the question the other day with current ACC members having won six of the last eleven NCAA titles in men's basketball so more than half the time over more than a decade that's an amazing run is it finally somebody else's turn in 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 that regard i wonder your thoughts about kansas and baylor and gonzaga and san diego state and dayton and some of the big 10 teams compared to the best of the acc this year uh do you believe the seminoles or the blue devils or the cardinals you know belong in that same conversation or do you think it is somebody else's turn 
Well, I think Baylor and Kansas are on a plateau of their own, and I, I've done a couple of, of each of their games this year. So I, I've seen them both on, on television and then in person uh, on, a, on a few occasions. They're, they're on a plateau of their own. I mean, those are two teams, David. I mean, you know, you, there's one thing watching a team on tape, and then there's another at seeing them in person. Yeah. And, you know, you could have one of two reactions. You could have, well, they're not as nearly as big or athletic as I thought, or they're not as good as I thought on tape. And then there's the opposite reaction I had when I saw Baylor for the first time. And, and it's, you know, that team is for real. Uh, and so I think those two teams are on a plateau, plateau of their own. Um, I, I do think they are the favorites to win a national championship. Outside of that, yeah, I mean, I think, I think Duke, Louisville, and Florida State are, could make as good a case as anybody. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because we've had different pockets of the year where you know, Louisville was playing the best, then it was Florida State, then it was Duke, and then, you know, maybe we're back to Florida State. But the point is, all of those teams have had their moments. Um, you know, I have seen Gonzaga in person. They're a good team. I, I think playing in their conference, it does hurt them, I think, when they get into the tournament. So, I, you know, outside of the two that, that we mentioned, Baylor and Kansas, I, I think the ACC is reflective of the rest of college basketball in terms of it being down. Uh, and I think any of those three teams that we pick apart because we watch this conference a lot, I think they're as reflective as anybody else in that sort of next tier of college basketball. We got a question earlier today from a college basketball fan who asked why there's never been a rule in place that would require, let's just say, like a 500 or better record in conference play for an at-large team. And I answered it kind of the, the, the realistic reason. The bigger conferences have a lot of power, and they know every NCAA bid comes with millions of dollars, and they're not going to give up that money and that power, et cetera, and that's why you never have it. As a guy who played at Army, as a guy who who's calls games in every league, is there anything worthy about a proposal like that, which obviously would give the little guy more of those at-large bids and would, you know – would penalize some of these second-tier teams in the power conferences. I'm glad you prefaced it by saying that I, I did play at a low major, so I you know I understand the plight of, of those yeah. those level schools. Um, I, there's a there's a couple things I would say to this. Okay, first of all, no, there is no sense that makes absolutely no sense in the world. It's completely arbitrary in a world in which you're using a net. You are using analytics to make the bulk of these decisions. I mean, 95% of tournament decisions now, David, are made based on analytics, based on it was the RPI, now we use the net. And people can gripe about that and how that, what that determines, but you can't then add an arbitrary factor of record on top of what is already an analytical standard. Here's the other thing, okay? If I was in charge of college basketball, the first thing I would do is eliminate 150 teams that are now a part of Division I college basketball, okay? We are trying to live in a world, and we are trying to make rules in a world where Team 353 is trying to compete and trying to operate under the same rules. And we are writing rules that in some cases are meant to placate Team number 353 yeah. and hurt teams one, two, and three, whoever you think those are. You, like, we, we cannot, like, I've had enough of this bleeding hard for these mid-majors when it comes to this tournament. These conference tournaments, by the way, the NCAA tournament is the most democratic process in any playoff format you want to talk about, okay? Because every team, every conference has an automatic bid. 
And there is nothing more democratic than that. You want to be in a tournament, those conference tournaments act as de facto bids. If you don't like, if a conference doesn't like that there's an upset in their conference tournament, then change the way you determine your automatic bid. But every conference in Division I basketball has an automatic bid to the NCAA tournament. You want to play in it, win enough games during the regular season, play a tough enough schedule, or win your automatic bid. Now, the counter to that is people say, well, they won't schedule. The big schools won't schedule. Well, tough luck. Because if you didn't think during conference alignment and you don't think that we are now living in a power five, power six world, then you need to be readjusted. That's the world we live in. Again, you can bitch, you can complain, you can protest, you can hold up your signs. The fact of the matter is that's the world we live in. And I get tired of having this conversation every year. Like, this is the world we're in, and it's an analytics-based system. And so those conference, like a Big Ten or an ACC, they're going to have more opportunities to improve upon the analytics that make these determinations. Chris Spatola is with us. He is on Twitter at Chris underscore Spatola. Of course, as we speak, the Big Ten is projected to have 10 bids. The Big East, seven. The Pac-12, the Big 12, and the ACC, five each. The SEC, four and the other leagues fewer than that. Uh, the good news, I guess, is, Chris, for anybody's, from anybody's perspective is, you know, Rhode Island is on the right side of the bubble as an at-large. Utah State is on the right side of the bubble, according to most, as an at-large. Um, Richmond is right near the bubble as an at-large. So it's not like you're automatically shut out uh, if you're outside the top five or six or whatever leagues, you just got to schedule right, win enough, or as you said, it reminds me of the U.S. Open in golf, right? Theoretically, every one of us has the ability to improve our handicap to get it into a U.S. Open golf qualifier. And then if you play the best golf or, you know, finish in the fewest strokes, it's truly democratic. You can win the U.S. Yeah. Open in golf just like every one of those 353, if I remember correctly, is in a league where the auto bid now goes to the conference tournament champion. Yeah, and it, look, here's the other element. I mean, as these conferences got bigger, you know, again, take the Big Ten or take the ACC as an example. Both those conferences now play 20 games. So, as I've said to you before, you've added 30 losses yeah. to the Atlantic yeah. Coast Conference. So, you know, like that, that ultimately is going to skew some of the conference numbers. And, and that's why they went to a system where we're taking the full body of work. The conference records don't matter. And I get it. People are going to look at that. But these conferences, as they've grown, and as the number of games in conference have grown, two things have happened. The records look worse, but the analytics look better because you're playing teams that are going to give you equity when it comes to an analytics-based system. If you were the athletic director at any of these three universities, would you keep your coach? Georgia Tech, after four years of no NCAA tournaments with Josh Pastner. Boston College, after six years of no NCAA tournaments and Jim Christian. Or Wake Forest, after one NCAA bid in six years with Danny Manning. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, I would have a hard time at Georgia Tech keeping Josh Pastner. And, and part of it is, and I know that there's an element to the NCAA stuff that came down that he's not culpable for, but you have to factor that element, David, into the narrative. I mean, the record is obviously a part of it, but you have to factor that in. The other thing is Georgia Tech should expect better. Like Georgia Tech is a sleeping giant. That should be, it, it has historically been a good conference in this, uh, a good program in this conference. They should expect better. And 
you know, the hire was was dubious from the beginning because he was about to get fired from Memphis. So of all of those, that would be the one. I could understand the case for Boston College and Wake Forest, but here's the, you know, Boston College, I don't know how good that, that program is going to be anyway. And I think you could make an argument, you know, where guys have left early, there have been some injuries and all of that. I, I, could, I could make a case for giving Jim Christian another year, and I could make a case, and I know Wake fans probably are going to like this, I could make a case the same for Danny Manning, and I've made it to you before. Yeah. He's gotten good players there. He just hasn't been able to keep those players there. Um, but again, I could also make the, the negative case and the alternative case. But of the three you gave me, the one that I, I think they should expect better is Georgia Tech. And, and I would be surprised if there's not a move made by the end of the season. Last thing for you, we seem to have settled on four ACC teams are going to make it in whatever order, FSU, Louisville, Duke, and Virginia. Cavaliers get a shot at the Blue Devils tomorrow in Charlottesville. Uh, and really the only other conversation, best I can tell, uh, is that NC State is a bubble team. What is your assessment as the only games they have left in the regular season are Pitt tomorrow at home, Wake next weekend at home, and that trip to Duke in between? Are we still going to be talking about State as a bubble team come uh, you know, Greensboro in the ACC tournament, or do they have a chance to change that narrative? Well, and remember, they're competing not just against themselves, but other teams that are trying to make the same case, yeah. the same push. So I would say this. If they don't beat Duke again, they're going to have a hard time getting into the NCAA tournament. And what they have done, it reminds me so much, and I was talking to Seth Greenberg about this yesterday, it reminds me so much of that year. I don't know if you – I forget what year it was exactly. I didn't ask him where they beat Duke towards the end of the season and then proceeded to lose – thought they were in the tournament. Yeah. basically claimed they were in and proceeded to lose every game in the regular season the rest of the way. And so they were sweating. That's what NC State has done. They were so desperate to beat Duke because to make their case to get in and have lost every game since. So if they don't beat Duke again, there's not enough equity in those two other games. And then here's, the other, here's my point about other teams trying to make a case. Notre Dame, if UCLA keeps winning, that's the other thing about the net. Like, this thing is fluid. So, like, teams you beat, if they continue to win – your net and your, your resume continues to grow. So Notre Dame has now won five straight. They could continue to get better with that win over UCLA. They've beaten Georgia Tech twice. And they have Florida State left on the schedule. They play them at home. Florida State is a significantly better team at home than they are on the road. Notre Dame gets them in South Bend. So, again, I think NC State, I, get, I understand why they're on the bubble now. But they're going to have to beat Duke, I think, to stay there. Whereas a team like Notre Dame, if they were to beat Florida State, I think there's a better case there. Now, they're on the outside looking in. But, again, this thing keeps rolling. And keep an eye on Notre Dame, David, because they're going to have, a, a, I think, a stronger case when it's all said and done. By the way, the year you're thinking of was Coach Greenberg's next to last year. His final year at yeah. Virginia Tech, he had a losing record, yeah. and that was the end of it all. Uh, but the year before his final year, he had 22 wins, and they beat a really highly ranked Duke team, and I forget all the details. Uh, but I don't believe they won another regular season game. Uh, they did win a couple, I think, at the ACC tournament that year. But, uh, yeah, it's, and there's a lot going on between the ears when it comes to these kinds of things for 18- to 22-year-olds especially. That's why we call upon people like Chris Spatola, the former, former Army star guard and nowadays an analyst for ESPN and The Athletic and Sirius XM. Thanks, as always, for dropping by, Chris. Keep up the good work.
No doubt, DG. Talk to you again, man. You got it. On Twitter at Chris underscore Spatola. 1-800-849-2761. Your phone calls the rest of the way. We are halfway to Margaritaville on this Friday afternoon. We have a whole lot more to discuss from our perspective on the college basketball matchups near and afar of over the next three days. NFL Combine, NFL Collective Bargaining Agreement, weird questions for players at the Combine. XFL Week 4 is here. And that league is still averaging more than a million viewers per game. Now, that's down from 3 million-plus in its first week and then 2 million-plus in its second week and then a million and a half-plus in its third week. But listen, if you can get an average of more than a million people to watch your live sporting event, you have a chance to succeed in a context where, of course, nobody else has ever succeeded as a secondary outdoor American football league. We've seen a lot of tombstones, including the Alliance of American Football not too, too long ago. Vince McMahon's reboot of the XFL has attendance up through three weeks, ratings declining, but seven figures or more. You might be surprised that that is more than you can get for a whole lot of hockey games, some random NBA regular season games, some random regular season MLB games. Relatively speaking, if you're still getting seven figures in average viewership, you have a chance to succeed. 1-800-849-2761. Where do the Canes go from here? Well, technically, PNC Arena. I'll see you there tonight as they host the Colorado Avalanche. Get there if you can, because for the next two weeks, they're on a six-game road trip, so you won't see them at PNC for another roughly 14 days. The NBA headliners include Chris Paul, Kobe White, Jason Tatum, and Zion Williamson. And somehow that league always does the best job of making sure that the best matchups of their weekend are on the best channels for us as sports consumers. More on that on the other side. You can join us with your question, comment, or complaint by dialing 1-800-849-2761. We'll get to some other headlines, and we're coming right back to your calls. 1-800-849-2761 on The David Glenn Show. I made a reference to Mike Krzyzewski of Duke and his GOAT status. And I kid you not, I got angry emails. If I really wanted to insult somebody, I would include some kind of sentence about being in the leaping prairie chewing on grass. This is The David Glenn Show. Welcome back to The David Glenn Show. Welcome back to Free For All Friday. You get to pick the topic. That's how it works every Friday, at least when we don't have a guest. Jordan Rodriguez on the NFL, Chris Patola on College Hoops are both in the books. I have a lot more on the week that was and the weekend to come. You can chime in maybe on something when the lines were jammed Monday through Thursday, but you also can steer us elsewhere. As long as it has to do with sports or this show or both, You can ask your question, file your complaint, offer your prognostication, or maybe just get something off your chest that's been burning a hole in your sports soul for a long, long time. Jerry in Washington, North Carolina, wants back in on some football. Others, college basketball. You can join us now at 1-800-849-2761. One thing I promised, and then we'll get to as many of your phone calls as we can. If you are like me, you root for pathological liars and cheaters of all kinds to be held accountable, whether they're athletes or countries or politicians or in any other context. I think most people share those kinds of values. Well, in the case of Russia, for example, they were caught red-handed 
putting forth one of the worst on purpose doping scandals in the history of sports, not an exaggeration. They had governmental officials involved. They had the nation's director of sport involved. It's like one thing when you have a rogue person or a single athlete beating the system, cheating the system, et cetera. When you are doing it on purpose as a country, as a sports federation, the highest ranking officials were all in on it. They were even caught trying to change computer data after they were caught red-handed they were caught trying to like carve holes into walls so that they could switch out test tubes with actual blood and urine of actual russian athletes i mean you can't cheat on purpose in greater volume just more obnoxiously and unapologetically than what the russians were caught doing and that's why I have no time. Chris Patola used the phrase bleeding hearts in the college basketball context. I have no time for the bleeding heart, but you can't prove every single Russian athlete did this or that. When it gets to the point that the people who run the entire federation are not only ignorant, I'm not talking about willful blindness here. I'm talking about actively participating in the cheating. And there's a mountain of evidence to back up what I'm telling you. So I was happy when the Russians were banned from international competition. And it's okay if they have a little side door where if you can show you did not cheat, that we'll let you play wherever, in the Olympics or something else. But it's not going to be on the under the lion-cheating Russian flag. And you have to prove, essentially, your innocence. Why? Well, because you're under a federation that just got caught with some of the worst systematic doping in the history of the world. Again, not an exaggeration. There is an Olympic swimmer, the greatest in his country's history, actually, named Soon Yang. You may not have a great memory for international sports. There are plenty of those sports that we only follow once every four years when the Olympics come around, right, winter or summer. Well, this guy, if you remember an iconic photo, where other athletes refused to stand on the podium. Like, this guy won another gold. His name is Sun Yang of China. He was caught doping six years ago and ended up serving a three-month ban. So you know he's a cheater documented once. Everybody, his rivals left and right, including some Americans who, who were outstanding swimmers, believed he's always been a cheater and is still a cheater, and now he's gotten caught again. So a lot of people are excited by this. When, the, when he won one gold, it was either at the World Championships or another of the most important international competitions, the Olympics being number one on that list, but the world's being very important as well. Those who finished with the silver and bronze would not stand up there on the premise that we know he's a cheater. He's a proven cheater once over. We believe he's still cheating. This is why we believe he's still cheating. And some of it has to do with China's horrible reputation. I have nothing against the people of Russia or the people of China, but their governments are lying, cheating, disgraces, not an exaggeration, and their sports federations are lying, cheating, disgraces. And you should understand that as an American or as an American sports fan, unless you're willfully blind, you will come to the same conclusions that I have on these matters. So some 
Fellow competitors won't even go up to the podium. You'd think, man, I just won a silver medal in one of the biggest international competitions that my sport has to offer. You'd want to stand up there, right? Nope. They don't want to hear the Chinese anthem. They don't want this guy to have his moment in the sun. They believe he's been cheating and getting away with it, and now he's been caught. So one of the greatest athletes in China history, a three-time Olympic champion, not only is going to have to miss the 2020 Tokyo Olympics, and this stuff makes me giddy. I just like when pathological liars are exposed, and I love when cheating athletes, even if it's an American like Lance Armstrong, I love when they get caught. I love when they're held accountable because I don't think the world works very well unless you do such things in sports and in society and in other contexts. This guy not only misses the Tokyo Olympics, he misses the next eight years, assuming he doesn't win on any kind of technical appeal. As we come to your calls, 1-800-849-2761, you may not have known this rule was in play, but if you're an international athlete in certain times on the calendar, you have to tell the governing body of your sport where you will be for a one-hour period. I don't know exactly how this works, but Darren, you and I would have it really easy, right? We, we would just tell the governing body, hey, you need us noon to three, yeah. Monday through Friday, with very few exceptions. Here's the address. You need to draw some blood or urine during a commercial break. You know where we are. I, di I didn't always know this, but covering some of these scandals, I came to understand that many international athletes, it's not every day, 365 days a year, but for certain stretches, you got to say, if today's the day I'm going to be tested, you got to say, all right, on February 28th, here's the hour where I know I'll be home or I know I'll be at this facility or whatever. On, on February 29th, okay, here's the hour where I promise you I will be here at this location. So sure enough, this Chinese swimmer, Sun Yang, gave this time and date on a certain uh, place on the calendar. And sure enough, they chose that day. And they come to test him. Long story short, he freaks out on the drug testers. His mom freaks out on the drug, te drug testers. And after the people hired by the World Anti-Doping Agency. They're the ones who prosecuted this guy. And just earlier today, it was announced that they successfully got an eight-year ban for him again violating anti-doping rules. They made a lot of noise about not liking this or not having enough notice or not following the right protocol. And there was a little bit of a language barrier, apparently. But eventually, mom, this is in the moment, so you're, you're carrying out a vial of the guy's blood that his fellow swimmers swear is still a cheater, was a cheater when he got caught in 2014, and has been a cheater through his three-time Olympic medals. They're walking out with the vial of blood, and mom tells the security guard hired by the family to grab the vial of blood out of the medical professional's hands and to take a hammer and smash it so the blood pours all over the ground. Like, this actually happened. I'm pretty sure you don't do that just because you thought they violated protocol or they showed up 30 minutes early or 30 minutes late or you didn't like their tone of voice. Odds are you knew what was in the blood when you got the security guard to tackle somebody and smash the vial with a hammer so the blood made it anywhere but the laboratory because you've been lying and cheating your way to medals for a long time and you didn't want the rest of the world to know. 
Rivals are celebrating all over the swimming world, all over the Olympic world. I am celebrating with them because another liar, another cheater, got caught and is getting exactly what he deserves. Jerry in Washington, you're next on Free For All Friday. Go right ahead. Yeah, thank you for taking my call. Sure, man. Uh, just a quick statement about Wake Forest basketball. Thank God Randolph Childress and thank God for Brandon Childress. <laughs> yeah, right. Those guys are, are beacons of light and hope in an otherwise dark picture. Amen to that. I just want to ask real quick, and I'll hang up and listen. Maybe Jamie Newman at going to Georgia, I mean, how do you think that will play out? Or do you have a, maybe a, a feel for yeah. that? And also about the Wake quarterback situation, how will that look for the upcoming for Dave Carlson? Thanks yeah. for taking my call. You got it. Thanks for listening, Jerry. The good news for the Deeks is that even though everybody out there was disappointed, Jamie Newman is a state of North Carolina kid. He was a third-team player, then a second-team player, and then Sam Hartman got hurt, and he became that first-team player. Remember when he came to Carter-Finley? Were we there with the big tailgate tour that night, Darren? And Jamie Newman, kind of first-time starter. I can't remember if it was his first start, but early to the, to the starting role, and he was just brilliant. And everybody's always loved his size. He's like almost a Cam Newton-sized quarterback. So he runs well. It took him a while to throw well, but if you're Dave Clawson, you're kind of proud that you took a relatively unheralded recruit from your own backyard, you turned him into a starting caliber, you know, you helped turn him into. The young man deserves a lot of credit for his own hard work, obviously, but together they produce an, an all-ACC caliber quarterback, and he's choosing to use his final year of eligibility with the Georgia Bulldogs. That hurts. And it was a slap in the face when Jamie told the media, well, the Georgia offense is more of a pro-style offense. And now that I had such a good year here in 2019 with the Demon Deacons and I have the NFL on my radar, I want to go somewhere that prepares me better for the National Football League. And he did say a lot of other nice things about Dave Clawson and Wake academically and Wake's football program, but he's still a home state kid that you and he worked together to turn him into something special. And now he's out the side door and going to play for the Georgia Bulldogs. Wake will be fine because the guy who got hurt so that Jamie Newman was promoted was Sam Hartman, and Sam Hartman is still there. So it's not like the Deacons are left with a vacant cupboard at the most important position on the field. They'll be fine. Jamie Newman is the projected starter at Georgia, remember, because the, he waited. He was looking at Miami, which got a different transfer, Georgia, um, I remember Oregon was on his list and maybe a couple of others. When did he pull the trigger on the transfer to the Georgia Bulldogs? This is not accidental. It was after the, what, three-year starter for the Bulldogs, Jake Fromm, decided to turn pro. Well, if Jake Fromm returned to Georgia for his senior year, Jamie Newman was not going to be transferring to the Georgia Bulldogs. He jumped to the NFL. He's at the Combine as we speak, Jake Fromm. He's after, after Joe Burrow of LSU, Tua Tungavailoa of Alabama, and Justin Herbert of, of Oregon. You know, you heard Jordan Rodriguez talk about Jalen Hurts of Oklahoma making some noise. Jordan Love of Utah State has been reportedly doing good things as well. Uh, Jake Fromm is also on that sort of next tier of NFL prospects at quarterback. But Jamie Newman knows that unless something weird happens, he's the Bulldog starter. So he not only gets what he considers a better pro system, he gets, of course, a chance at even bigger things. Wake is stuck in the same division as the Clemson Tigers, right? So if you have a dream of a conference title or playing in the college football playoff, 
I think we would all agree your chance of that at Georgia with Kirby Smart having the Bulldogs on a roll. You're going to be on more national TV games. You're going to be in a bigger spotlight. We'll see how the whole pro-style system works out for Jamie Newman. Again, that was the part that was hard for a lot of Wake fans to hear. But in, that, in one sense, it's going to work out well for Sam Hartman. He gets to be the starter for the Deeks again. And it's going to work out well, at least at the beginning, for Jamie Newman because he is starting at an even higher profile program in an even better conference overall, the SEC. So maybe it works out well for everybody. But that was tough to swallow for a lot of fans of Wake Forest football who are excited that Dave Clawson has made them a uh, consistently successful program. But if you're going to take a leap to something even more special, you know, it would have been nice to see Jamie Newman as a part of that. Last call for phone calls on the other side. It is free for all Friday. That means you can revisit any of the topics we've hit today or this week or this month for that matter, or you can steer us elsewhere entirely. Questions, comments, complaints, fair game, 1-800-849-2761. More from the week that was and reminders of what the weekend in sports has waiting for all of us with your calls, 1-800-849-2761. Next on the David Glenn Show. Dean in Wilmington, you're up on the David Glenn Show. The NCAA book on violations is so sick Superman has trouble carrying. This is true. However, it's not buried into the small print in the back that you're not allowed to drive luxury cars that aren't yours. Okay? <laughs> Keep it here on the David Glenn Show. the David Glenn Show. Welcome back to Free For All Friday. We do have lines open. It is the last call for phone calls for the smartest audience in all of sports radio. What awaits us this weekend is led by college basketball near and afar. It also includes XFL Week 4 with attendance holding strong and TV ratings on the decline but still in seven figures. That is very important. Major League Baseball is in spring training. The NBA has 20 games left in the regular season with guys like Chris Paul and Cody, Kobe White and Jason Tatum and Zion Williamson from our neighborhood getting some of the greatest accolades lately. The best teams I've seen, the Lakers out west, the Bucks in the east, they continue to set the pace. The Bucks at 50-8 and eight are actually still on pace or on track to having a shot at one of the only 70-win seasons in the history of the NBA. If you want to make a little bit of a weekend calendar, the NBA always does the best job of putting on the biggest channels the best matchups. So the best of college basketball includes, say, Duke at UVA tomorrow in ACC country, Michigan State at Maryland tomorrow night uh, in Big Ten country. Both of those are on ESPN proper. Seton Hall Marquette in the Big East, Penn State, Iowa, another Big Ten matchup. In the NBA, if you're a follower of the association, it's incredible how consistently they put the best games exactly where you would want them. Tonight, if you have some availability, you've got Chris Paul and the Thunder visiting Giannis Antetokounmpo, Antetokounmpo and the Milwaukee Bucks. You've got the Nuggets, who are a pretty good team out west, and the Clippers going head-to-head. L.A., of course, being another of the best teams out west, along with LeBron and the Lakers. Speaking of him, on Sunday night... It is LeBron. He missed a game last night with a minor groin issue. I'm assuming he'll be available for the Lakers on Sunday night. But just as ESPN will carry the two best NBA games for tonight, ABC and ESPN have the two best games on Sunday, 76ers at the Clippers, ABC, Saturday, Sunday afternoon, and then LeBron and the Lakers 
at Zion Williamson and the Pelicans Sunday night, 8 o'clock on ESPN. In between, Saturday night on ABC, it's the Houston Rockets at the Boston Celtics. So you have James Harden and Russell Westbrook in that crew, arguably one of the four or five best teams in the NBA as we speak. Jason Tatum has taken his place, former Duke star, in year three at the NBA level. Jason Tatum was a good NBA player when he arrived. He wasn't an all-star until this season for the first time. He wasn't one of the half a dozen or so best-looking players in the NBA until like the last month. And I'm not saying he's up there with Giannis or LeBron, who are the two leading candidates for MVP. I'm not saying he's quite at the level of some of those other MVP winners like Russell Westbrook or Kevin Durant when he's healthy or Steph Curry when he's healthy. I am saying that Jason Tatum has gone from really good NBA player to knocking on the door of might he be one of the best five players at some point soon in the entire NBA? Not everybody thought that for him as a one-and-done guy coming out of Duke. But one of the reasons I think the Celtics also belong in that top five in the NBA is how Jason Tatum has come along and gone from really good to, yes, the word great definitely applies. Chris Paul, by the way, if you haven't seen him much, I know he's getting up there in years. I know he still has the doubters because he's never made it to the NBA championship series. He did make the all-star game. I think des deservedly so. I don't think that was just an honorarium because of his overall body of work. He is playing big-time basketball for an Oklahoma City team that a lot of folks thought was in rebuilding mode. They're certainly going to be in the playoffs. We'll see. They might even be a dangerous team. The West is absolutely loaded with the Lakers at the top, the Clippers on their heels, and even some others beyond that. The Rockets would be my number three out West. The East is not as loaded. It's kind of Milwaukee, and then maybe you like Toronto, maybe you like the Celtics. Some people like my hometown, Philadelphia 76ers. But I'm a believer that even if you have one of the best records in modern NBA history when playing on your home court, if you look like a lottery bad team when you're away, there is no way, no way that you're just going to have a magic wand and make that, you know, Jekyll and Hyde personality go away just because the calendar turns to the postseason. About, we're at about the three-quarter pole in the NBA. We're at about the three-quarter pole in the NHL regular season as well. Here's how things boil down in my eyes for the Kaniacs out there. I always love seeing you at PNC Arena. I will be there again tonight as the Canes have their final home game for about two weeks. It's the Colorado Avalanche, one of the better teams in the West, visiting the Canes, who have some new guys to watch. Centerman Vincent Trocek, and he says he prefers Vincent over Vinny, for the record. Defenseman Brady Shea has already made his debut, another acquisition at the trade deadline. Sammy Vatnin has not made it yet, but another defenseman that will help, especially in the absence of the injured Dougie Hamilton and also the injured now Brett Pesci, who also will be out for quite a while. The goaltenders seemingly will be healthier more quickly. Peter Morazic and James Reimer, of course, famously injured up at Toronto as the 42-year-old Zamboni driver David Ayers had his moment in the sun on the ice and then spent much of the last week doing national TV shows and radio programs like ours here at the David Glenn Show. Here's how it boils down as the Canes are kind of frighteningly on the wrong side of their bubble. We'll be watching NC State host Pitt tomorrow, rooting for the Wolfpack to get the kind of wins they need to get 
to get on the right side of the bubble. Again, Joe Lenardi says they're the last team in. Jerry Palm says they're not even among the first four out. Regardless, you got to keep winning, including tomorrow against a Pitt Panthers team that is well coached by Jeff Capel, but is in the bottom half of the ACC talent-wise for sure. The Canes have their own bubble to deal with. Eight teams per conference make the playoffs, a maximum of five from any division. Well, here's the problem. The Eastern Conference includes, in my eyes, if you did a power rankings of the NHL, I'd argue that four of the five best teams in hockey are in the Eastern Conference. Boston's really, really, really good, and you know how much it hurts me to say that out loud. Tampa Bay has been absolutely dominant lately. Those two are not in the Canes division, remember, but they can matter. If you get the eighth and final playoff spot and you're the fifth team in the Metro, guess who your assignment is against? The first first place team in the other division in the East, which would be either Boston or Tampa, either of those an uphill battle. Boston, Tampa, and then two teams in the Canes' own division. I know it hurts to say in here, the Washington Capitals and the Pittsburgh Penguins, they're not going away either. Those four are locks. What it comes down to is there's five teams looking for three spots. So you got to root against Columbus, root against the Rangers, root against the Islanders. That's not hard at all for most of us. You should also root against the Philadelphia Flyers, which for me personally is a different matter. But those are the other four teams jostling for position with the Canes. Five teams for three slots. That's what it's going to boil down to with about 20 20 games left to play, varying a little bit franchise by franchise. Canes hosting the Colorado Avalanche tonight. I will see you at PNC Arena. Their six-game road trip does include head-to-head matchups against two of the teams that they're neck and neck with, the Flyers and the Islanders. Final thoughts and TV picks, free-for-all Friday style, as we come down the stretch to the sounds of Jimmy Buffett. That's next on the David Glenn Show. Mike Krzyzewski joining us. We asked folks who work with at Duke if you've changed or mellowed over the years. Well, you know, mellow is having a glass of wine and looking over, you know, the sunset, you know. <laughs> uh, I don't see how you can be mellow and coach a game. That can't happen. If it does, then you shouldn't be coaching. Keep it here on the David Glenn Show. We are coming down the stretch on today's program. And down the they come. Credit to Barry Sanders of the Detroit Lions for having some fun with the Garth Brooks controversy. Great message in there, right? Facebook people and others. Make sure you understand what somebody is and is not saying before getting bent all out of shape and writing all kinds of angry things. Come on now. Most of us are smarter than that, I would hope. College basketball is front and center this weekend. Best wishes to the Devils at UVA, the Heels at Syracuse, Wake hosts Notre Dame, and NC State has a big one against Pitt. Enjoy the games. We hope to see you Monday right here on the David Glenn Show. Mr. President, Barack Obama, welcome to the David Glenn Show. How are you? David, it's great to be on. It's wonderful to to talk to the folks in North Carolina. I always say uh, I love the state of North Carolina, love the people of North Carolina. Even the folks who don't support me down there are nice to me. The David Glenn Show.